Well, good morning. I'd invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 23. That's our scripture for this morning's sermon. Nehemiah chapter 4. I'll start reading in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, hear God's word. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And at that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us 10 times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that, It was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan. We all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. And those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work. And half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. 
So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we come before you by the power of your Holy Spirit through your son, Jesus Christ, and we ask for your help of understanding and clarity with your word. Help us to hear rightly and to respond rightly to all that you would have for us here in Nehemiah chapter four. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, our study of Nehemiah has invited us to rebuild our lives and our church on God and his word. Nehemiah heard of the city walls of Jerusalem that they were in ruins and he rallied the people together and he casted vision and invited them to commit to the work of rebuilding the city. Chapter three actually gives us this this picture, kind of fast forwarding a little bit and gives a glimpse of all the people that were involved in the work of rebuilding the wall. They committed together and one commentator describes it this way. It says, men and women priests and laymen, Levites and tradesmen, locals and non-residents, administrators and citizens. It's a picture of all kinds of people who are all in for the work. The vision was cast, the people were committed, and the work had commenced. But once the work begins, the opposition comes In various forms and in various ways, pressure has always come against God's people as they commit to God's work. This pressure threatens to stop the work that God's people have been called to. Nehemiah, this book, it actually reveals this pattern that's woven throughout the entire Old Testament. Israel always faced opposition and faced pressure and it threatened to divert them away from what God had called them to do. And this pattern actually finds its culmination in Jesus when he steps onto the scene. In his ministry and in his life, he faced opposition on all sides. He was opposed, he was mocked, and he was eventually killed. And Jesus said this in his earthly ministry, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. A servant is not above his master. And the early church faced the same opposition as its savior. Listen to what Paul said. He says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The church follows this pattern and shares in the sufferings of Christ, facing opposition to the work that the church has been called to. Last week, Pastor Moody, he he actually charged us to commit ourselves to the work. Well, brothers and sisters, no sooner than when we commit ourselves to rebuilding our lives on Jesus and commit ourselves to rebuild this church on the word of God, will we see opposition right away. In the face of opposition, though, what is it that will strengthen God's people what is it that will strengthen us here at College Church to press on in the work? Well, to be clear, what, what is the work that we've been called to? In Nehemiah, God is rebuilding his people, Israel, in God's place in Jerusalem, 
And the work that they're called to do is to rebuild the walls, the temple, the heart of the city has already been built. And when Jesus comes, all the promises and all the realities of the Old Testament find their fulfillment. Jesus is the true Israelite and he's the true temple. And by faith in Jesus, God's people are indwelt with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're living stones, 1 Peter says, built into the household of God. And we long for the heavenly city, Jerusalem. And so we labor in the work. What is the work? It's now applied to the church of building up the church and bringing about renewal within the church, the household of God. So what we're called to do as a church, devote ourselves to gospel proclamation. And in doing so, that's gonna build up the church. That's gonna help us to grow up into holiness. It's gonna be an opportunity to invite new people to become new living stones by believing in Jesus Christ. And as we commit to this, and continue on in this, this work is gonna be opposed. So how are we going to respond? What's gonna strengthen us to persevere? Nehemiah 4, it's instructive for us. We're gonna see different waves of opposition coming against God's people and the work that they've been called to. And so verses one to six, we see this first wave coming at Nehemiah and the people and the work. It's this initial pressure. And it comes in the form of words. Sanballat, he's already shown up in in chapter two and he's a government official, perhaps a governor already. And he in no way wants Israel to flourish because if Israel starts to flourish, his influence and his power will start to diminish. He sees the work start and he's greatly enraged. And in the presence of his crew, he starts to fire off these vicious words against the Israelites. Look at what he says in verses two and three. What are these feeble Jews doing? He's trying to mock the Jews. He's trying to call them weak and trying to call them frail. Will they restore it for themselves? Do they actually think that they can do this overwhelming task? Will they sacrifice? Do you think they're gonna get to the point where everything's built and they can offer sacrifices in their city once again? Will they finish it up in a day? Do they really know how long this work is going to take? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of rubbish? It's gonna take far more than they realize to bring this city back to life. And Tobiah, his servant, adds insult to injury as he starts to mock the quality of their work. He says a fox is gonna come up to the wall and knock it down. Their words are trying to describe a message of a weak people doing a weak work on a weak wall and it's never gonna get completed. They want God's people to doubt themselves. These vicious words are intended to instill doubt in God's people and the work that they've been called to. Friends, if we commit to the work of God, building up his church, we must expect ridicule and mocking. We must expect degrading comments about our commitment to pursue a lifestyle of holiness. Some may start to feel threatened. Some are gonna throw that back at us and they're gonna say that lifestyle is too judgmental, that lifestyle is too religious. And people will start to mock those who commit to believe in the teaching of the Bible. They'll say that's oppressive, that's outdated, that's behind the times. And others are gonna constantly question the relevance of our convictions and of our commitments. 
the relevance to actually meet the needs of the world. This is no longer needed. It's not good for anything. You see, if you commit to Christ and his great work of building up the church, people will want to cause you to doubt the value of giving your life to building up the church. Surely you could do something better with your life than show up here every week on Sunday. Surely with the degree you have, you could do something more important than devote your life to the church. It's a waste of time to become a pastor. It's a waste of time to become a missionary. It's a waste of time to devote yourself every Wednesday to teaching the Bible to those in the church. Do you really think you can affect change in the world by being involved in the church? Do you really think the church can help that struggling couple? Do you really think the church can bring renewal into impoverished areas? Do you think the church can encourage the poor? You see, the church and the work of the church looks weak in the eyes of the world. And in fact, we are weak. We are jars of clay, and this gospel ministry is foolishness in the eyes of the world. But God uses weak things to shame the things that are strong in the eyes of the world. God promises to build his church and shame the wise of the world. How does Nehemiah respond here? Verses four and five, let's look there. Instead of turning in retaliation and anger, he turns to God in dependent prayer. The first way God's people deal with opposition is to turn to God in dependent prayer. And like the imprecatory Psalms, Nehemiah cries out for God's justice. His prayer actually reveals that the mocking and opposition that God's people are facing, that's actually mocking and opposing God himself. Nehemiah is crying out to God to protect his people, to thwart the efforts of their enemies. Because opposing God's people who are committed to God's work is a terrible thing in God's sight. But God's people will persevere as they Leave vengeance to the Lord. Think about Jesus. Jesus faced verbal taunts. Jesus faced mocks. Hail, King of the Jews, the soldiers mocked. Rulers scoffed. He saved others. Let him save himself. Even a criminal on the cross mocked him. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But what did Jesus do? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. God does not sweep sin under the rug. He will bring justice. And the Son of God, in the face of opposition, did not retaliate in anger or in sin, but entrusted himself to his heavenly Father. We see here in this text in Nehemiah 4 that that Nehemiah turns to God in dependent prayer. And one day, God will deal with all opposition. God will bring final justice. And until that day, What is God's church called to do but to turn to God in dependent prayer, trusting that God will care for his people and that God will one day bring about final justice? And what happens in verse six? The work continues. The people had a mind to work. The walls are built up to half its height and the work is moving forward. But an excited, unified people Persevering in the work is immediately hit with more opposition. It's actually increased pressure. 
Look at verse 7 and 8. Sanballat and Tobiah, they, they rally enemies from all sides. You see, the Arabs were from the south, and the Ammonites were from the east, and the Ashdodites were from the west. And Sanballat and Tobiah with the Samaritans come from the north. On every direction, enemies are angry that the work is moving forward. The verbal pressure moves into these violent plans. They plot together to fight, to cause confusion. And the words were intended to instill doubt. And these plots and plans are intended to instill fear in God's people. But what happens in verse 9? Prayer. Prayer. What will strengthen God's people to press on in the face of opposition? Again, it is turning to God in prayer. That is what Nehemiah is drawing our focus to this morning. But in verse 9, it's not just the leader of God's people. It's all of God's people who rally together to commit to prayer. We pray to our God. In the face of pressure, I wonder what your gut reaction is. Is it retaliation? Is it to numb yourself with Netflix? Is it to fall away in fear? Is it to find confidence in your own strength, in your own abilities, in your own plans? Or do we turn to God in prayer? Jesus prophesied that he would face mocking and that death awaited him. And the religious leaders plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And on the eve of his crucifixion, knowing the weight of the work that he had been called to, and the opposition to that work all along his life and even what he faced in the upcoming day, what does Jesus do? He turns to his heavenly father and he says, not my will, but your will be done. And Luke 22, it it tells us that in that moment, Jesus was strengthened and he pressed on and went to the cross. What about the early church? Acts chapter four, after the resurrection, they devoted themselves to the great commission. The gospel is going out and flourishing and what happens right away is they face opposition. And in the midst of that opposition, telling them to be silent and to be quiet, what does the early church do? As people were plotting together against them, is they rally together, They pray to their God and they ask for boldness and for strength to continue to proclaim the gospel. And what happened after that prayer? The Spirit shows up and emboldens them and they go out and they continue in the work ahead. College Church here has been around over 150 years. I wonder how many past ministry endeavors have faced opposition. Every generation, I'm sure, would have stories to tell. But one thing's for sure, no work, no fruit, no movement, no progress in the face of opposition moved forward unless they were devoted to prayer, to the living God. If we as a church for the next 150 years want to persevere in the gospel work that God has called us to, especially in the face of opposition, that we need to personally and corporately commit ourselves to prayer, to depend on God and ask him to care for this church and strengthen this church, to fortify this church so that we can persevere in the work ahead. So College Church, will you spend time this week, 
Will you pray for the the leaders of this church and the various ministry teams of this church that God would give them strength in this next season of ministry? Will you gather with other believers this week and share the pressure that you are facing in the ministry that's in front of you and invite others to pray along with you? Will you commit yourself this week to pray for our brothers and sisters around the globe who are facing physical threats. Their very lives are threatened because they're standing for Jesus. Will you pray that God would care for them and that the work would continue on? May we commit ourselves to turn to God in dependent prayer. But the story of Nehemiah 4, it doesn't finish in verse 9. They did commit themselves to prayer. They were ready to defend their work and defend themselves in verse nine. But in verses 10 to 14, we see these external threats actually give way to internal pressure. Over time, weariness and fear creeps in. Look at verse 10. Many people felt overwhelmed. What do they say? There's too much rubble. They're tired. The finish line was too far in the distance. Continuing on did not seem possible or even worth it. I wonder if you can resonate with that. I think some of our older saints, they could testify to seasons of life in the church where the workload seemed too heavy and too difficult. This internal weariness, it moves into fear. Just follow along with me in how verses 10 to 14 actually develop. Verse 10, Judah said, the work is too much. Verse 11, the enemies said, we're going to stop this work. Verse 12, Jews near Jerusalem said, not once, but 10 times, you must return to us. Or basically, protect yourselves, leave the work behind. The Jews who committed to the work of God, they were hearing voices from within the community and from without the community, and they were causing weariness and discouragement and despair and fear. This was a crisis moment. What will strengthen a weary and fearful people to persevere in the work that God has called them to? Nehemiah temporarily stops the work. He stations workers to protect the city. And then verse 15 is this wonderful moment. Verse 10, Judah said. Verse 11, the enemies said. Verse 12, the surrounding Jews said. But verse 14, Nehemiah steps up in front of God's people and said, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. As one commentator put it, Nehemiah appeals to the tradition of Israel He's using language that would cause God's people to recollect the past power of God against their enemies. He's bringing their minds back to Exodus chapter 14 as they're facing the opposition from Pharaoh. What did Moses say to the people? Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. And the Lord did it. And then Moses references that time In Deuteronomy, when they're on the edge of the promised land and they're going to face more opposition, Moses tells them to recall that. And he says, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God, he himself will fight for you. And Moses continues in Deuteronomy 7. He says, if you say in your heart, 
These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and awesome God. Coming back to Nehemiah chapter four, what Nehemiah is doing is he's appealing to the biblical story that reveals this great and awesome God who has fought for his people. What is it that is gonna strengthen a weary and fearful people? Remember God through biblical exhortation. That's what Nehemiah is doing here. It's not simply this great leader who's boosting the morale of people because he's giving a great speech. He's exhorting them from the biblical story and reminding them about who God is and all that God has done. He appeals to the biblical story. He exhorts them to live and to act and what happens, they're they're renewed, they're energized in their very souls. He takes their minds off of their weariness and puts their minds upon the living God and upon one another. What does this mean for us at college church? If we wanna persevere in gospel ministry, if we wanna grow in holiness as a people, we wanna be built up into spiritual maturity, we want to reach this community here in Wheaton and all around the globe, especially in the face of pressure. We need to be a church that remembers God through biblical exhortation. Think of the New Testament, Hebrews 3, exhort one another as long as it is called today so that you may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love so that you may grow up into Christ. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. What did the early church do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If we want to be strengthened and fortified in trying and difficult times, we must embrace a ministry of word exhortation. It happens here in the Sunday pulpit. It's to happen in the smaller gatherings. It's to happen in personal conversations throughout the week. And what is it, Christian, that we are to remember? What are we to exhort one another with? Well, we're to remember the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered. We share in his sufferings. We follow down his path. But just as Nehemiah called the people to look back at the work of God, God's great salvation of drawing the people out of bondage to Egypt and freeing them and redeeming them, what do we exhort one another with, Christian? We exhort one another with the gospel We call one another to remember Jesus Christ who lived and who died and who accomplished our salvation. Remember him. We exhort one another to remember the biblical story of God's salvation. Brothers and sisters, will will you commit yourselves this week to exhorting one another from the biblical story? Are you weary this morning? Are you fearful? In different ways, I don't know what is sitting in front of you, but what we need as a people week in and week out is to be exhorted from the biblical story right here where you commit to coming on Sundays, where you commit with your brothers and sisters during the week to exhort one another. This is a team effort. This is not just the pastor in the pulpit. This is a people committed to biblical exhortation. 
That we all have a role in this work of strengthening one another with the truths of the scriptures. Our great and awesome God who has accomplished salvation. He will continue to work and build his church. Well, what's going to strengthen us to persevere in the face of opposition? Well, we turn to God in dependent prayer. We remember God with biblical exhortation. And we even see here in verse 15 that that a people who is acknowledging God's sovereign power will be fueled to continue on and work. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Nehemiah had an accurate vision of God. He acknowledged God's sovereign power. God is the main actor. God frustrated their plans. And as Nehemiah acknowledges and trusts in the sovereign hand of God, they find fresh courage for the work. God's sovereignty, his sovereign activity, though, in in no way removes the personal responsibility. You see, Nehemiah set a guard. He stationed people to gear up for the attacks. They continued on in the work. God's sovereign activity doesn't hinder our responsibility, but it fuels our activity for God. And verse 16 through 23 actually gives us this picture of the people who are continuing on and pressing on in the work. They pressed on in the work. They were ready to stand firm and they were single-minded in their devotion to the work God had called them to. What happens in verse 16? It says, from that day on, they worked hard on the wall. They were laboring in one hand on the wall and in the other hand, they had a weapon ready to defend ready to face whatever might come their way. They were ready to stand firm. But in the midst of all of this work, what is it that that anchored them? In verse 20, it says, just in case, if you hear the trumpet, rally together. But what does Nehemiah say so loudly? Our God will fight for us. Their hearts were fortified by prayer and biblical exhortation. Their hands were ready for the work. They were armed and ready to stand firm against the attacks. But they knew who was in their midst. God who would fight for them. This great and awesome God who is faithful and powerful. Their strength does not come from themselves, but from the Lord. And as they turn to him in trust. And isn't it amazing how how Nehemiah sets this great example of single-minded devotion. He calls the people to stay in Jerusalem to not leave so as not to get distracted from the work, but to stay single-mindedly focused upon what God had called them to do. Day and night, Nehemiah himself and his leaders and all the people giving themselves, pressing on, persevering in the work. Well, what are we to do with this battle language? And we'll close here. The apostle Paul uses this language, this battle language for the church. But we're not called to take up physical weapons for a physical war. Our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers and powers and authorities in the heavenly places. We're constantly in a spiritual battle. And Satan is a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And Satan is wanting to thwart the work of God in the world and thwart the work of God here in and through college church. 
But we persevere by putting on the armor of God. And we stand firm in his strength and in his power and in his victory. We hold on to his truth and his gospel and we use his word, the sword of the spirit. We do share in the sufferings of Christ, yes. We are strengthened through the victory of Christ, yes. And we stand in the armor of God so that we may fight against the schemes of the devil. Well, the work of God has always been opposed. Expect it. Expect it even here at College Church. It's one thing to cast vision. It's one thing to rally together and commit to the work to actually start it up. But it's another thing to persevere when the pressure starts to come. May we be a people that turn to God in dependent prayer. May we be a people this year that remembers God week in and week out with biblical exhortation. And may we be strengthened and fortified as we have a big vision of a great and awesome God. And as we stand in his armor, that we would stand firm with single-minded devotion to all that he has called us to. Brothers and sisters, let's pray. Father in heaven, we hear this story and we're grateful for all that it is laying before us and we turn to you now, our God, our sovereign God. I pray that you would strengthen us and fortify us to persevere in what you've called us as a church and us as your people to do. So we look to you by faith and we ask that you would be actively at work in this place and around the globe. In Christ's name we pray, amen.